Today's reading consists of a series of passages from Exodus 35, 1 to 10, 35, 20 to 36, 7, and 40, 34 to 30, sorry, 30, 40, 34 to 38. I'll give a short summary before the reading of each passage. Exodus 35, 1 to 10, um, the context is that Moses gave the Israelites um, regulations for Sabbath set up by God and the materials for the tabernacle. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to, who is, willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and other type of durable leather, Kijo wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The second passage is 3520 to 367. Um, and the context is that the Israelite community brought their offerings to the Lord, and two artisans, Bezalel and Ohaliab, received instructions from Moses to build the sanctuary. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved then came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or, other, or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems remounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to their Lord, to the Lord, free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, "See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills." to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Isamach, of the tribe of Dan, 
the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skills to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given ability and who, has wo- who was willing to come to do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded them, commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. And the last passage is 40, 34 to 38. And the context is that we get a detailed description of how they built the tabernacle and brought everything to Moses, who then finishes assembling it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels, this is the word of God. Great. Thanks, Harmony, for reading. Uh, Not the easiest passage, and we left a lot of stuff out. Thanks to Mary for praying that God would speak to us. Uh, Let's hope he will. Uh, He will. Yeah, our 19th and last sermon on the book of Exodus. It's been quite a journey uh, since the end of February. But uh, this is the end, the last chapters. If you think of Exodus, well, books of the Bible, they have a message. They're like a sermon. What do you get at the end? You get application, don't you? You get, okay, so what am I going to do now day to day? And I think today will be similar. I think this needs to be a bit higher. Exodus, what have we, I mean, Exodus, what is it all about? Knowing the Lord, isn't it? We have learned so much about who the Lord is, eh? how he's the, the only savior, the one who rescues his people, and the one who provides, the one who forgives, the only true God. But now that you know God, what now? What am I supposed to do now, kind of day to day? It's uh, the same with the Christian life, isn't it? You've become a Christian, and you've come to Jesus because you know you had to be rescued from all the things you've done wrong, and Jesus died for you, and you know, you've accepted that, but, but now, how do I live now day to day? 
what is the, the aim, the purpose of, you know, how should I, what should I live? And I don't know how you would answer that question. How should we live day to day? Because, you know, the gospel is for every day, of course. Uh, it's not that, uh, you know, once I've become a Christian, I, I never sin anymore. Uh, every day we need forgiveness. It's what we talked about two weeks ago, uh, chapters 33, 34. But our aim is not being forgiven, right? My aim in life is to be forgiven. At some point, you know, you return to the Lord, you are forgiven, but what now? And so basically we don't, many of us, we don't really know what to do. So we just focus on our work, career, right? It's important. You know, I want to raise money to buy a house. I'm just going to enjoy the weekend, enjoy holidays. Because, you know, I've, I've done the Christian thing. I've accepted Jesus. Now, what does God want us to do now? I guess some of you would say, you know, a relationship with Jesus, that is the goal, right? A relationship. But even relationships, they need some kind of aim, right? Uh, think of a marriage. Yeah? Samson and Rebecca are getting married. If you'd ask them, okay, well, so what, what is your marriage going to be all about? Well, just, you know, the relationship, romance, intimacy. That's a bit of an inward-looking marriage, isn't it? Marriage needs a purpose. And our relationship with Jesus, right, it, it needs a purpose. What is that? Well, as we finish Exodus, eh, we know God. How does God want us to live? What should be our, our big concern? And, uh, yeah, it's going to flow out of the gospel, but that's what we're going to look at. But as we start, yeah, the big background. Well, I better do some of this. There you go. The big background here that we still need to get clear on is God's grace. This, the whole background of these chapters, yeah, is, is God's grace. Now, I don't know if you've read it. It can seem like six chapters of, uh, of building, right? It's what it is. So back in chapters 25 to 31, we got all these detailed instructions. And this is just, it repeats it com completely. Yeah, so in chapter 25, God said, you know, make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, one and a half cubits high, and overlay it with gold. And then you get chapter 37. And they made an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, one and a half cubits high, and they overlaid it with gold. <laughs> and you think it's just exactly the same. And the point is, yes, it is exactly the same. Because what happened in between, they made a golden calf. They were told, don't worship any other gods. They made an idol and they were going to be destroyed. And the covenant was broken and, you know, everything was in, yeah, in pieces, in ruins. But God forgave them. And rather than ripping up the blueprints, it's still going to get built. And it's going to get built exactly as if it never happened. That is grace. That is full forgiveness, right? That the relationship is so much back together as if nothing happened. And, and so you, you read these instructions and you think, wow, this is so meaningful. This is all grace. I mean, details can be meaningful. I mean, like, like here, I mean, this is just a floor plan and you can see loads of numbers, right? Like, there's something, uh, you know, uh, 1.13 meters there and, and 6.64 meters there and 2.42 meters there. 
But actually, imagine you're a, an engaged couple and you finally found your flat that you're going to move into and you're measuring everything up to go to IKEA. Isn't that exciting? Right? These numbers represent you know, our life together. And you know, every bit of gold and every cherub and every tanned ram skin and fine twined linen represents their, you know, God is going to live with them. But then, yeah, this engaged couple, the husband commits adultery. It's over, it seems. But she forgives him and, and, and it's back. And now every little bit of every number that husband, the guy sees is, wow, we're still going to be together despite what I've done wrong. It all speaks of grace. And so here, every, every bit is kind of, wow, it's still going to happen despite our sin because of God's being gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. And all of this is, is grace. But, but that's the background. The question is, well, what does grace do? Yeah. And of course, yeah, uh, what they're doing, they, they build a tabernacle. Right? The tabernacle, I mean, God could have just flicked his finger and you'd uh, let there be a tabernacle when there was one. Now the people bring the materials, they construct it. But what I think we should have noticed, what I hope you notice from the reading, is how it comes. And that is, God's grace leads to a willing response. And so the Moses tells them to go, and they all go and do it. But, but if you read it, did you notice all those phrases? Come back to 35, verses 4 and 5. How does Moses put it? Yeah. Uh, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of, of gold, silver, bronze, etc. Uh, verse 20, 3520. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting. Uh, verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing, they're, they're willing. Their heart was moved. And you get this beautiful picture eh, with the, 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 the men bringing gold and the women spinning linen and they, they bring wood and, you know, they, they get to work and they build everything. Uh, they do it well, so often, if you read it, you notice, as the Lord commanded, they do it they're obedient, they're willing, they do everything as they should. Can you believe these are the same people who were dancing around a golden calf a few weeks ago? Because it's the same people, right? The same people who, who, who yeah, just <laughs> made an idol and did everything wrong. It, they look completely different, right? How did they change? I think that is what grace does. That is what we, we, we should see this. You know, if, if, if God forgives you, if God sees everything you've done wrong and, and he's gracious, that, that changes you. Right? And I mean, how does it make you feel when you are forgiven? And I think all through the Bible you see that response. A famous New Testament example, Zacchaeus, uh, the chief rich tax collector, in the tree, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat at your house today. You know, this guy, he's 
taken so much money from people and, and Jesus just goes and has dinner with him. And everyone grumbles. But, but Zacchaeus, yeah, he's overwhelmed by Jesus' grace. And you know, half my money I'll give to the poor and I'll pay everyone back fourfold. He's changed by grace. Uh, we see it with people. Uh, a baptism service is always great because people who've just become Christians, they're so excited about grace and they want to serve and they want to tell their friends that is what grace does it's weird isn't it because especially if you're a visitor you probably think people change if you tell them right you need to make rules and you know if you don't keep the rules you'll get punished that is how we change people no in the bible it's it's grace that really changes forgiveness and the very thing that people say that doesn't change you. you know, if, if God forgives, then surely I'll never, I, I don't have to change. No, it's a relational thing. And grace, grace changes people. I, I've seen it in my own life so clearly. Um, I became a Christian when I was 25 years old. Now, before I was a Christian, I often watched stuff that I shouldn't watch. And I've, it was about one or two weeks after I'd become a Christian uh, that I was tempted again. And I, you know, I was going to... And then, yeah, you just become a Christian. And I, I had these thoughts. Okay, well, what should I do? Uh, if I do this, will God punish me if I sin? Uh, will I lose everything that I just gained by becoming a Christian? And, and I realized, actually, uh, God's love is unchanging. You know, even if I sin, I can return and be forgiven. Hey, that is such a weird thing, and that was just so, so overwhelming, so shameful. I just felt so ashamed that, you know, I do this and God still loves me. And he keeps loving me and he keeps forgiving me. And, I, yeah. and so, yeah, how could I do this? Right? Grace changes you. Grace can change you, grace changes marriages, it's grace. Now, some of you, I think here, you know that. You know, being a Christian is hard work, but you, you serve with joy and because you know how much Jesus has done for you and you love him. Others of you may be less. Maybe you are struggling. Or Hong Kong is hard work, and then you're a Christian on top of that. And, you know, we, we rejoice with Christmas, but there's no joy for you. You, you resent all the things that we need to do. What do you need to do? You need to go back to grace. I think if you're struggling, I shouldn't be here telling you, go do this, go do this. You need to come back to Jesus. Right? You need to meditate on the gospel. Read Exodus and see again how wonderful the Lord is. And doesn't that, hopefully that moves you. And then when you read the pas Bible passage in your quiet times, don't just look for, what should I do? What do I see of Jesus' love? What do I see of God's grace? And, and think about that. And if you struggle on your own, read it with others. And what we need is grace. There's a great book. Um, we don't have it on the bookstore. One day we should, Serving Without Sinking. Um, what's nice about this book, I mean, how to serve Christ and keep your joy. It's about serving. 
But the whole book is a gospel book. It just tell you, tells you again and again, look what, you know, God adopted you as his child. And, you know, you're going to marry Jesus. And, and you're friends with God. And, and Jesus died for it. It's just a gospel book. But that is the thing that changes life. That is the thing that, that keeps you going. That is what makes this willing response grace. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know what your plans are for Christmas. Plan to, you know, focus on grace. Plan to understand it more. See again how great Jesus is. Feel again that love when you first became a Christian. And hopefully that will, that will change you. But then when you feel that, what, how, what will that then look like? What will you do? Well, what do these people do? A willing response of building God's dwelling. It's what they're doing, right? They, they bring materials and they construct, they, they build God's dwelling place. Now, that can seem a random task. It's not random. Actually, this is, this is exactly what they want, right? You know, they've been forgiven and God says, despite your sin, I'm going to live with you. And so what's the next thing you do? Of course, you build a tabernacle. That is, that's God's plan, right? I, I don't know if you think this has nothing to do with grace. This is about God coming to live with them. And they were devastated when God said it's over. And now God said it's back on track. So let's, yeah, let's build this. Let's get this done, this plan. Yeah, so, yeah, building God's dwelling, yeah, if, if, if we want to know God, if we want him to be with us, Let's build a dwelling place. Of course, as Christians, we don't make physical buildings. Maybe last year with the church center, sometimes it felt like that. But no, uh, God's plan has always been to live with his people again. Adam and Eve, they sinned out of the garden, away from God's presence. But the whole Bible is about how God will come back and live with his people again. And so, uh, yeah, how does he do that? It moves away from physical to spiritual. How is God, where does God live now? I don't know if you've, I ask people that. In some ways he's everywhere. But as we most of us know, he lives in us, right? By his spirit. If you're a Christian, God lives in you. He lives among us here, in all of us. Eh? What is the dwelling? Well, it is the church. In the New Testament, and when I say church, I don't mean a building, I don't mean an organization, I mean, the word church means assembly. It means a group of people in us. We are God's dwelling place. Uh, Ephesians, helpful verses, chapter 2, talking about uh, to Gentiles, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Hey, you Christians, you are becoming God's dwelling place. Uh, you, as you grow, as people are added, that is the, the temple, that is God's dwelling place. Not beautiful in terms of gold and precious stones, 
beautiful in terms of lives of love and grace and, and holiness together. Lives that reflect Jesus. And it's a great thing God is doing. But even though it says here, you are being built, actually we do the building. If the next chapter in Ephesians, chapter 4, well, here's what we should do. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God's, we should now go and build the body, build the church. Um, how do we do that? Uh, two verses later, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. It's a pretty similar picture to Exodus, right? Every part doing its work, and then together, God's dwelling grows and is being built. That is the, the plan. And so, yeah, if we understand the gospel, it should make us active to build the church, grow the church. But again, that's not something unrelated. God, why were you saved? Why did God come and save you? Because he wants to dwell with his people. And so for, it makes sense that you then, okay, I'm, I'm going to join that plan, right? I'm going to help that plan of God to, to save his people and be with them. Or think about it like this. You want to see Jesus. When is Jesus going to come back? When the church is finished. So if you want Jesus to come back, well, let's build a church, right? It makes sense that... Yeah, if you understand grace, and you know that grace is going to go to the world through the church, that the church may grow, you're going to join that. Now, what does that look like for us? Well, in Exodus, the people do two things. First, they give. Giving is a good thing to do. Giving time. Last week, the Christmas bazaar was so great to see so many people giving their Saturday uh, to, to make this happen. I hope people willingly who kind of, yeah, it's great what we're doing. And so they gave their time. Um, many people are on teams here, giving time to pray. Prayer meeting next week, uh, this Friday. Uh, it helps, <laughs> it's important to build a church. It's a great way to give. Uh, although, of course, hiring this place, organization, mission partners, uh, money is also needed. So uh, a few weeks ago, we had Stewardship Sunday. Uh, if you haven't sat down yet and thought about, okay, uh, how much uh, can I give, uh, do do that. I mean, if the gospel has moved you, if it's so wonderful that the gospel came to you and you appreciate hearing the gospel every week and the gospel going out in the world, your heart should be moved, right? To, yeah, I, I, want, I want to give to that gospel going out and the church being built. But also there's, there's building. Yeah, they're, they don't just give, they build. Uh, spinning and engraving and embroidering. But how did we build? Well, speaking the truth in love. The truth being the gospel, God's word. Yeah, it's how people are added to the church as they hear the gospel and are saved and how we grow as we hear the gospel and it, it changes us and it, it moves us. 
disciples making disciples, basically. It's Jesus' command. It's our vision as a church that we would be growing ourselves and helping others grow through the words. So invite people to the carol service, great way. Um, but also you out there, all of us where we are. If you're in links, we did this series, uh, Life on the Frontline, how God wants to use us in the different places where we are to make a difference, to love people, to bring his grace, to bring his word. Um, you, have you thought of reading the Bible with someone who doesn't know uh, Jesus or maybe with another Christian working nearby? One-to-ones, I think, in Hong Kong are such a key way for this to happen, for disciples to be made. But yeah, let's, let's be, be active, right? If you, know, if you love the gospel, you want to be active in spreading that gospel, in building the church. And why? Well, as we've heard, it's, it's to fulfill God's plan. Because they build it and they bring it to Moses and they put it together. And then it's so positive, the ending, right? Uh, chapter 40, verse 34, everything is ready and then... Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You know, God moved in. It's finished, and God moved in, and the great goal is achieved. God is, is living again with people. After all that has happened, rescuing them from Egypt, and feeding them, and bringing them to Sinai, and giving them the law, and you know, everything, God is there, and, and he's here to stay. Verse 38, so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. And all the time, he, he, he didn't leave again. Well, yeah, well, you need to read on in the Bible how we get to the church. But, you know, here that's so positive ending. In so many ways it's emphasized. I don't have time for it. You may wonder why the Sabbath Sabbath is about completion, about rest, finishing work. That's why there's a lot of Sabbath emphasis. But, you know, God's plan is fulfilled. And isn't that what we want too, right? Don't we want the church to, to be all it can be? To be a community of such love and grace here in the world. Uh, with everyone saved with, with, and Jesus coming down. Uh, this is such a, a great vision and it's such a great project you're part of. The only project that's really going to happen in the world is the church. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if we could be that church? If we could be this, this beautiful building, this beautiful dwelling place where everyone can see God is there, God is at work. Uh, don't you want that? Maybe you're a young person here. I, I don't know what you live for. I guess maybe, yeah, jobs, we need to work, but it can be what we really focus on, right? And that shouldn't be the big thing. Maybe the next holiday, don't know where you're going with Christmas. The thing is, jobs and holidays is what everyone around you also lives for. People who don't know Jesus, surely knowing Jesus would make a difference, right? I mean, if grace has touched you, don't you want to join this much bigger project? Don't you want this to be the aim and purpose of your life, to see the kingdom spread, to see the church grow, and to see God kind of at work come down? But that's in the church. 
So use your time to disciple, to serve, to help the church become what it can be, the people. Maybe you're an older couple. Maybe your kids have left. I mean, I've got three young kids. There's a sense I love them, but I, I know I will, I will have a lot more time then. Uh, maybe I know a lot of people, they often, the children leave home, and then what do I do now? Like, what a great thing that you can be involved in. Building the church, discipling people, raising up the next generation. Isn't this such a great vision? Now, if, if we understand God's love and grace, yeah, it should move us. Go back to it if it doesn't. But then, let, yeah, let that move you to be active in discipling and building the church, building God's dwelling until it's all finished and Jesus comes down and we live happily ever after. What a great vision. Why don't we echo that prayer as we sing our song and then remember grace when we have the Lord's Supper. So as the music team comes up, uh, this is also our time of offering. If you're a visitor, please don't. Uh, we want you to be here to receive, to know Jesus, to receive grace rather than, uh, rather than give. But for the church family, it's our time of offering as the bags go around. And if you're a newcomer and you have one of those newcomer cards, you can hand them in there as well. Great, but let's sing and pray. Let your kingdom come.